Anna, how are you doing today? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been it's been it's a hot one out there today. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty toasty out there. Like why why you got to be toasty? It's, it's only... just that time of year. We only get summer and winter anymore. So, I mean, today Given it was actually kind of a busy day at work, I don't have any interesting facts or any little factoids to start the episode off. Do you got anything, Hannah? Um, yes, I think I've discovered a local cult. A local cult? Yes. Is this not is this not the one by Saint uh, the Marine on the Saint Croix or Saint Croix? The Mar- what is it called? Marine on the Saint Croix. That's what it's <laughs> called. That's the city. But it's the city right next to it. Is this what we're talking about? No, I'm talking about the beef stroganoff cult oh, that wh- comes to. The place where I work all the time looking for beef stroganoff. (laughs) Because it has been constant for the last few weeks. So you're just fucking with me. I'm just fucking with you. I love that. (laughs) I was literally thinking a cult. and Honestly, it kind of feels like it. Because it's like every day somebody calls or comes in and they try to barter with us to get the beef stroganoff that we don't have. Barter? Oh, they like they like. Well, if I come back later, or like, do you think you could have some tomorrow? And they're like, no, it's not on the menu, so we don't have it. Sometimes we'll have it for the deli, which is what they're waiting for, oh. but we don't have it. So, do you technically have all the ingredients in your kitchen to make beef stroganoff, or no? Not the way that we make it. We don't just have oh. it on hand. Okay. Yeah. So, plus you'd have to make all the noodles then and everything for that and. Well, we we're always making noodles, but yeah, yeah you're always making noodles. But are you making that type of noodle? I can't remember what noodle we use, but isn't the like the flat with the little wavy sides on it? Or? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It's fettuccine. Yeah, so we do make that. Oh, that's that's. Oh, I did not know that noodle was called fettuccine. Yeah, I just knew it as in the beef stroganoff. It's, it's fettuccine, like in fettuccine Alfredo. Fettuccine is the noodle. See, and Alfredo I'm thinking. Alfredo is the sauce. I was always thinking fettuccine was the type of Alfredo sauce. Nope. Well, I learned something no, new No, there here are today. two types of Alfredo sauce. There is there's authentic, two? There's authentic Italian, and there's American. Oh, well, I I could have guessed that, but that makes sense, though. But Do you obviously, know the difference between them? Hold on. I feel like the, Ital- the Italian one, the authentic Italian one, is, like, creamier, whereas the American one isn't as much, but it's more... I don't want to say fatty, but there's more, there's like... Okay, so I guess you're not technically wrong. Okay, so just tell me that. So then, yeah. authentic Italian Alfredo is made with butter and Parmesan. Okay. And that's it. You take the noodles out of the water, you toss them in a saucepan with butter, Parmesan, and a little bit of pasta water. And that is... That's it. That is fettuccine Alfredo. Um, and then America has just gone and done the American thing with it and added all of this extra stuff with the seasoning and the different creams and all of this stuff. So you're literally telling me right now, I have the noodles, I have butter, and I have have Parmesan. Do you have fresh Parmesan? I can grate it. Yes, okay. So it's a block. mm -hmm, Yeah. Then yes. We could easily make it. It literally is so easy to make. Do you want to know how it was made? How? So... There was a restaurant owner in Italy, I can't remember what year this was, but basically his wife was having a very tough pregnancy and she couldn't keep anything down or like nothing sounded good and like he was just desperate to find something that she could eat and that like she would be happy with and that it would stay down. And so just out of desperation one day he tossed some fettuccine and some parmesan and butter and she loved it. 
and he ended up putting it on his menu and there are people who literally their whole job their whole career is just tossing the fettuccine noodles in a giant block of parmesan with the butter in a at block restaurants. Of yeah parmesan. And, yeah like in the wheel of parmesan like just in the center with some butter you toss them right out of the water and then they serve them up that sounds delicious yeah i love how it's only three ingredients yeah as well i me and christian made it like it's probably like last month now but it's super easy to make it's really delicious. I love that. It's so good. It's, I think it's better than, than. You throw some, you you throw some uh, like shredded chicken bites in there or something. You or honestly, don't even have to. Like I it's, bet it's not, really but to like just, make it, make it. Yeah. Like extra special, I could see doing something like that. Yeah. Or even like. But even honestly, shrimp. it's it's literally just as far as I know, it's literally just supposed to be served with the noodles and, the cheese sauce. But Christian does usually make up some chicken to throw on his. See, there we go. Yeah. yeah. But I knew it. But yeah, it's really just supposed to be the noodles and the sauce. Well, I now know what I need to make next time. I'm like, I don't know what to make. Wait, I have three ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I have like 20 minutes of time. Boom. Pretty much. Amazing. So there we go. There's my... I... There's my fun fact, I guess, for today. I love that. That was that was probably my favorite one. Even out of the ones I've said the last few episodes, that's been my favorite one so I far. I can't believe you didn't know that. I, I was talking about that, that Alfredo for weeks after we made it. I knew you were talking about the Alfredo, but you never went into the, into the I guess, the, the noodles and sauce part of it. I guess not. You just said, oh my God, we made this Alfredo sauce. We made it from scratch. It was, I remember stuff like that, but I don't remember you talking about how you made it yeah yeah you just gotta try to use fresh parm because mm-hmm. otherwise it doesn't like melt and get all creamy the well, way it should. and that's the thing too like you can't buy packaged cheese of any kind unless mm-hmm. it's just like a block in a packaged um be warned it's a hefty meal like even without the chicken oh i bet it's very it's because li- it's literally those noodles, just those noodles are thick thicker yeah it's just starch like and dairy a, it sounds like a good like winter meal almost oh, like a so... simple winter meal it's so good. Oh, I could see having a hot toddy with that, maybe. Maybe. Something, maybe something pairs nice with it. I think it depends on what you want with a side. I guess, yes. Garlic bread. Always well, garlic bread. Well, obviously garlic bread, yeah. All right, well, I, I suppose that's enough of an intro. I suppose that'll do it. Uh, that'll probably do it, yeah. Talking about Alfredo and sauces. And the local beef stroganoff cult. Local beef stroganoff cult. Should we interview them? No, we shouldn't. Oh, I got another thing for you, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> I actually do have something. So uh, one of my coworkers, shout out to Taylor. She listens to our podcast. Hi, Taylor. She was telling me about Grey Cloud Island. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I think there was one episode where you t- where you just touched on Grey Cloud mm-hmm. Island. So Taylor is going to invite both of us out to go to Grey Cloud Island with her and another friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, actually. I went to high school with him, but is somehow her best friend small world i love that but she's got some wild stories and she has what do you mean by invite us out there like they go out there once a month and like walk around oh and check out like the cemeteries and all that stuff oh okay and i was like well my cousin's a medium so i think it'd be real fun to bring her out there that would be pretty fun and i said it because i was like can my cousin come she's like yeah bring her out okay and uh what was it oh she showed me a video yesterday of her like just filming the woods as she was walking down and you hear all these coyotes yipping and the birds chirping and everything 
and then like she gets to this point, it all just stops in the video. Rose. So apparently, one of the lores on Grey Cloud Island is that it is the cemetery and uh, there it's built on tribal land and tri- tribal burial grounds, well, Native American burial grounds. Yeah, like the whole place is haunted by native yeah. spirits. And the native spirits are these animals, and once you get past them, they stop. Like, they're trying to warn you not to go near, but as soon as you pass, you're on your own. Interesting. And that's what, that was the video she showed me. And I heard that video, and I really want to go. somebody is mowing their lawn Um, right now. That would be the lawn company, the HOA hires. Okay, well, the HOA is here to mow the lawn, so you're probably going to hear some of that in the background. Our apologies. All right, well, let's get this, let's actually get this episode going here. Yeah. Um, You want to hand me the quarter? It's my turn. What do we got? We got heads. Ooh. All right, Hannah. Are you ready to hear the story of the Chowchilla kidnappings? I guess so. (laughs) First off, have you heard of the Chowchilla kidnappings? I have not. All right. Well, Chowchilla is a city in California, and this event took place on July 15th, 1967. Uh, Where Chowchilla is is about an hour drive northwest of Fresno, California, if you know where that is. On this day, it was supposed to be a normal day. There was a summer school field trip going to the swimming pool at the Chowchilla Fairgrounds. About 20 or uh, 26 kids were aboard the bus, ages 5 to 14, and the bus driver named Frank Edward Ray, but we will call him Ed because that's what he preferred. After a day of swimming at the pool, the kids gathered around the bus before departing at around 4 p.m. On the way back, Ed noticed a van blocking the road ahead. Ed stopped the bus to get out, and while walking towards the van to see what was going on, he was met by three armed men. They were all wearing face coverings of nylon stockings, and all three were pointing their guns at Ed, ordering him to get back into the bus. One of the men held a gun to Ed's head while he sat on the bus, while the other two drove the bus in the van. The men drove the bus about a half hour to a shallow branch of the Chowchilla River called the Berenda Slow, where the men had another van parked, and after parking and hiding the bus the best they could in these thick trees along the creek of the the slough, while the the kids and Ed were being forced in the bus, they noticed how the vans had their windows painted black so they couldn't see in, and and no one could see out, completely pitch black. Once everyone was in the vans, they took off not knowing where they would go or what would be their fate. Just nightmare fuel right off the bat. Right. Like, this happening real quick. Yeah. The vans finally stopped, and when the doors were opened, they could see the sun rising. Okay. Come to find out, the kids and Ed were driven around for about 11 hours. And where they ended up was in a quarry near Livermore, California which is only about two and a half hours away from where they were. They made that into an 11-hour trip? Yep. Oh, Jesus. Once everyone was out of the blacked-out vans, all three men ordered everyone down a ladder that led to a moving truck that was buried underground. Jesus Christ, what? One after another, the kids made it down, and finally so did Ed. While looking around, the kids and Ed noticed that they had only very small amounts of food and water, and there were some mattresses scattered around. After the doors were shut, everyone noticed that there was a little bit of light coming through a top hatch-looking cover. And after a few hours, Ed and a couple of the older children started trying to figure out a way out of the truck. 
and they figured that going through the top might be their best option. They started stacking mattresses on top of each other, and luckily they had enough mattresses where they were able to where they were able to be tall enough to reach the opening. The opening was weighed down with a thick sheet of metal as the door to the opening, and on top of that metal sheet was two 100-pound industrial batteries. After a few hours of struggling with opening this cover, Ed and one of the eldest kids' efforts finally paid off after being able to wedge a piece of wood between the cover and the opening to be able to move the batteries off. Oh. Once the cover was moved, they found they would have to dig their way out of many debris that was blocking the entrance as well. They just had just piles of shit from like a junkyard sitting on top of everything, making oh. it that much more difficult to crawl out. Oh, okay. And then nearly after 16 hours after they first entered the truck that was buried underground, Ed and the 26 kids were finally free and walked to the guard's shack that was at the quarry's entrance. From there, police and medical help have finally arrived and everyone was fine with no serious injuries, just little cuts and bruises. Okay. I actually, I think I do remember this story. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I've heard it on another podcast. Probably, yeah. But, yeah. I know it's more, it's a. It's definitely a, not a super famous one, but yeah. it is a well-known one if, yeah. um, in the true crime community. Yeah. I mean, I don't know all the fine details, but now that you've like gone through that much of it, I'm, I remember some of it. Oh, yeah. Here's where I think is going to get fun, too, because we're about to get into the investigation. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that's not the end of the story. No, There's no, no, so no, no, much no. more to this. Oh, absolutely. So, immediately, police started an investigation, and while interviewing multiple people, they started becoming suspicious of the quarry owner's son. His name was Frederick Woods IV. The quarry, and would have potentially been able to move a truck and bury it there with no one seeing since he had access no matter what time of the day. There's a lot of time and energy being put into this. While police were investigating Frederick, they also found that he had two very close friends with motor vehicle theft charges. Their names were James and Richard, and they happened to be brothers. They And at that time, they were both on probation for motor vehicle theft. Oh, that's nice. A warrant was issued for the home of Frederick's father, where Frederick lived. Once at the home, police found one of the guns used in the kidnapping. Thankfully, Ed knows his firearms. Police also found a drafted ransom note, and this was enough to arrest all three men with the crime. But after two weeks of the kidnapping, the police got a tip where Frederick, Frederick was. He was found in Vancouver, Canada. Boy made a long trip away. Yeah, he scooted. <laughs> like, he scooted right out of there. And that same day they found Frederick, they found James, one of the brothers, in uh, Manello Park, California. And as for Richard, James's brother, he actually turned himself into the police just eight days after the kidnapping. Nice. Good for him. Right? Way to be a stand-up guy, Richard. Yeah. Now that all three were detained, they could finally be questioning so police could figure out what was going on. Thankfully, all their stories did line up. After trapping the kids and the bus driver in the truck, the three went to make the call to the police department intending to demand the ransom of $5 million, which is about $27.5 million of today's money. But the call could never be completed. Come to find out, all the lines were being tied up to the police department due to all the families calling in, searching for their children, as well as all the local news media were calling in to get more info about the missing children. Oh my god. So once the men realized there was no use calling, 
And at that time, they didn't know that that's the reason why they found out during while they were being in, uh, interrogated. That's kind of hilarious. Right? So once the men did realize that it was no use to call, they just went to bed. They woke just up. Just decided to take a nap. Yeah, they were tired. I mean, come on now. It's not like there's a bus full of kids missing and no. you're responsible or anything. No. Just go ahead and take a little snooze. A little snoozle. But it wouldn't be more than a few hours later that same night... They awoke to the TV, and they saw on the news that their victims had been freed themselves and were all safe. So, they ran, not knowing what else to do. Ain't that just a bitch? Right? <laughs> like, that's a universe going like, this is what you get, motherfuckers. I know, just it's funny the way things work out sometimes, isn't right? it? <laughs> I love when karma and the universe are just completely in sync. Mm-hmm. The three go on to say that the reason they were asking for the money was due to being in severe debt, even though they all three of them come from wealthy families. Okay. So, with that, they are able to be charged and a trial is able to be started. During the trial, all three men pleaded guilty to kidnapping for ransom and robbery, but they did not want to plead guilty to infliction of bodily harm, as that would mean a life sentence with no parole. They were found guilty of the infliction of body, uh, bodily harm, hmm. but was overturned by an appeal made because under the law of bodily harm in California, the injury sustained to the children did not meet the standards under the law, meaning it had to have been more severe than just minor cuts and bruises. Right. Well, still injuries uh, to children. True. But, but Okay. I mean, that, that's the law. I don't necessarily agree with it either, but that's apparently that. They were all resentenced to life in prison with possibility of parole. And in 2012, one of the brothers, Richard, was released on parole, while the other brother, James, was released on parole in 2015. Hmm. Now, as for Frederick, he had a little more, let's just say, interesting time while in prison. Hmm. In October 2019, Frederick was denied parole for the 19th time. Some of the reasons for the numerous denials were, throughout his entire time in prison, I'm ready. infractions, possession of contraband, including porno magazines, and having multiple cell phones, when cell phones were a thing in the mid-2000s. Yeah. When cell phones were a thing in the mid-2000s, as if they... Well, this happened in 1976. Oh, I suppose. So, didn't have a phone for almost 30 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very crafty. And there's a reason for those cell phones, too, which I'll get into in a bit Is here. Is it for the porno magazines? No, the porno magazines were very real and very crunchy. But in 2016, a workers' compensation... <laughs> I try to keep a straight face. So long on that last one. Okay. So, in 2016, a workers' compensation lawsuit was filed against Frederick. Come to find out, he was running several businesses from behind bars, and he wasn't he didn't notify any proper prison authorities. Because apparently in California, you can do that. You can run a business behind bars. Crafty. Like I said, just crafty. Crafty. So, they finally settled out on a payout, which would be from Frederick's trust fund, and which that payout was about $100 million to the workers. 
So what businesses was he running? He ran some gold bar businesses and I believe like a uh, some type of auto mechanic shop, I think I read too. Oh, okay. So there was kind of okay. some other businesses like that. Oh, and a towing company, I do believe. Of course. All the standard businesses you run from behind bars. Yes. Okay. There was another lawsuit in 2016 against Frederick, and this was from the kids of the kidnapping. The exact amount was never disclosed, but one of the survivors said this will pay for some serious therapy. Okay. All right. Right? Well, good for them. And at the age of 70 in 2022, Frederick was released from prison on parole, finally. Well, he's got all those businesses that he can still go run. He's got stuff to do. He's a busy man. He's a real busy man with no trust fund with all this money being paid out as well. Yeah. Well, good. He doesn't deserve a trust fund. So as well, what happened to Ed? Yeah, what did happen to Ed? So Ed did pass away in 2012 Mm -hmm. in his, uh, I believe in his 80s. He received a California School Employees Association citation for outstanding community service just before he passed. Happened like in May, I think in a... No, it happened in February. He passed in May of 2012. And in 2015, three years after he passed, the Chowchilla Sports and Leisure Park was renamed the Edward Ray Park. And every February 26th is Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla. That happens to be his birthday. Oh. So once a year, they celebrate Ed. That's really sweet. Isn't it? Hmm. No one was harmed, and Ed gets a day every single year. But unfortunately... With all this good news, there's a lot of bad news as well. No. Over the years, the kids have had some pretty serious mental trauma from this. Yeah, I'm sure. There's been quite a few in and out of the prison system since then. Uh, There's only been like one or two that actually have been able to go on and lead pretty good lives, Mm. unfortunately. Yeah. And I just... And it sucks. Like, they were just wanting to have a fun time at the pool and then they get this. Yeah. Like, that's... It's sad. It's very, very sad to see. It's very sad. It's very upsetting. And then I think I have one more thing before we continue on. Okay. Oh, there we go. The last bit of information with the kids was there are still some of these children who are now adults that were not experiencing trauma until 25 years later as well in like the early 2000s. Yeah. Like it just, it came up and I just, it can't, it's like, I couldn't imagine going through something like that. No. Like That's as a young kid, like a f- if the youngest was four years old. That's so little. It's so little. You hardly even understand what's going on. Yeah, it's you had a fun day at the pool. Now there's lots of yelling, and you're at this place. Now you're in this dark van, and yeah. Oh, the poor baby. I mean, yeah. I mean, all the poor babies. Poor, all the poor babies. I just or just all of them. Poor Ed. I mean. Yeah, I do hope that with these survivors, they are getting the help that they need. Yeah. During this time. Uh, I obviously didn't go into they, their personal they got lives. The help that they needed. I, I do hope they got the help they needed. Uh, I know that there is some documentaries out there that mm-hmm. I have I wanted to watch but had no time this weekend. But I know some of them go into some of their personal lives, and I would like that and maybe have an update on the next episode yeah. about them. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. So with that, that's the Chow Chilla kidnappings. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. What do you got for us today, Hannah? <laughs> oh, no, I don't like that scrunch nose cackle you had going on there. You're going to love it. I'm going to love it. You're going right. to love it. All right. 
Oh my god. Austin, are you ready? I mean, I'm gonna love it, so I'm 100% ready. Today we're gonna talk about Robert the Doll. Oh my god, no! I am sorry. Oh my god, I am so sorry I just yelled into the mic. That was so loud. It was. No. No, you can tell this one without me today. Fuck. You really had it. Okay, I'm just gonna lay it out there. I hate dolls. I really do. And some of my friends listening right now, I know, are laughing their asses off. So, for those of you who don't know, you're about to find out. I'm not going to go into any more detail. Hannah, um, take over this nightmare fuel here, please. All right. At about 119 years old... It's too old. Robert the Doll lives in the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida. Mm-hmm. His case is humidity controlled and UV filtering. The museum said it was donated by a fan of Robert's. Anyone who's a fan of Robert, you just, I'm sorry. Why? Why a doll? I, um, with absolutely no reason to base my, my belief on this, I believe that that fan of Robert's is um, Zach Bagans because I'm sure he wants. You know, that wouldn't be surprising <laughs> I'm sure in the he slightest. wants Robert in his museum at some point. And I feel like he's tried to get Robert into his museum. I think I I think he's tried to get Annabelle from the he's, Warren Museum. I think he's tried to get quite a few of them. Oh yeah, he's well, I mean, half that sh- or probably 95 of that 95% of the shit in his museum is not real. He's got Ed Gein's cauldron. Does he really? Mhm. I did not know that. Yeah. I think the stuff in there is real. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, the yeah. No, I mean like really haunted actually. Oh. Like real stuff from like crimes and everything like that. Yeah, he's got that stuff, but like things he claims are haunted. I think there are certain things that definitely are. There was some recent uh, information that came to light about like the Dybbuk box and everything in the yeah. last few years, but anyway, we're talking about Robert the Doll. Yeah, yeah. I, you've said that multiple times and I cringe every time. So, Robert wears a little sailor's outfit yeah, no. and has a stuffed animal of his own. He looks like you'd expect a nearly 120-year-old doll to look. Creepy. Um, you can look up pictures of him online. I will probably post a picture on social media when this episode comes out. The museum has traced him back to the Stife Company, which was the same toy company that made the first teddy bear. They said that the doll was likely meant to be part of like a window display, but and like never actually sold as a toy. Oh. So. Okay, that part I didn't know about Robert the doll. Yeah. Also, fun fact, teddy bear, mm-hmm. those are made as, I believe it was part of Teddy Roosevelt's presidential campaign. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, just a fun fact about that. Robert is considered to be the most haunted doll in the world. No shit. So, he was originally owned by Robert Eugene Otto, who went by Gene and was from a prominent family of the Florida Keys. Uh, he received the doll as a gift in 1904. There's a couple different stories about who he got the gift from. So there's one story that says he received it. Uh, he received it as a birthday gift from his grandfather when he returned from a trip to Germany, and then another that says he received it from a servant. Um, the stories have varying circumstances as mm-hmm. to why he received it, but received it from a servant who was rumored to have cursed the doll to get back at the family for some wrongdoing. Uh, when he got the doll, he was about four years old, so it was life-size for him, and it quickly became his best friend, who he named Robert after himself. It's just, all of this, you just know, if you've never heard this story, you just you just know it's going to get bad. And, like, I'm just tickling the surface of this. I went deep into this. I don't have near, nearly all the information in here that I wanted, but 
I got a lot. Yeah, I bet you do. So Gene soon lost interest in all of his other toys and exclusively played with Robert. Uh, the doll went everywhere Gene went, and Gene referred to him in the first person as if the doll was a person. Oh. Are you ready for this, Austin? No, Hannah. <laughs> his parents would hear him having extensive, seemingly one-sided conversations with the doll, mm-hmm. but eventually there were two distinct voices in the conversation. Yep, this is the part I hate. While his parents wanted to believe that it was Gene answering in the other voice, they thought it sounded too deep for a kid his age to uh, fake. Yep, 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 there um, it is. And then also sometimes Gene and Robert would get in fights. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So Robert seemed to move around the house on his own sometimes and the family claimed they would see his head turn or facial expressions change Mm-mm. like no. he was listening to the conversations nearby uh, people also felt like they were being watched in the home which is super fun there was a night when Jean's mom uh, was woken up by Jean yelling and a lot of noise coming from his room when she got in the room I think the door might have been locked mm-hmm. when she got in the room furniture was moved all around Jean was scared in his bed and Robert was sitting at the end of the bed yeah fuck that no thanks. Uh, eventually, Jean started blaming Robert for things that went wrong in the house, like things being broken and just weird stuff happening. As uh, you the line was always, Robert did it. As it would be. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Jean's dad locked the doll away in the attic in a box, and Jean went back to being a normal kid. See, I don't like when you're air quoting normal. Mm hmm. So, Robert the doll remained locked away until after Gene's parents passed away and he inherited the house. Gene and his wife, Anne, eventually moved into the house and Gene found Robert. No. No. Anne didn't like Robert. No shit. And eventually made Gene leave the doll um, pretty much only in his art studio as he had become attached to the doll all over again. Like, I read that he would have it, like, sit in a chair in their bedroom at night like, it was, he always had it, he was always talking with it, she would hear him having conversations with it, all of that stuff. Please tell me it didn't do the voice again. Um, well, my next point actually says Robert didn't stop being creepy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so people passing by the house said they'd no. seen the doll watching out of the upstairs window and moving from one side of the window to the other by himself and, like, watching them as they walked past. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like that. Um, he'd move around the house on his own again as well. <sighs> of course he would. And there were reports of hearing children giggling in the house as well. You f- burn it. Burn it all down. Just. There is some sources that say that, like, Robert attacked Anne and, like, locked her in a closet. Just, just fucking locked her in a closet. Or, well, she got locked in a closet, and then the next morning, Jean was like, well, Robert did it. I, this, okay. After Anne had had enough, Robert was locked away again no, until after Anne and Jean passed away, and the house was eventually sold to Myrtle Reuter and her husband. So when Anne initially sold the house, she sold it to their neighbor, and the deal was... The doll goes with the house. No. And he made that deal. And so when he sold it to Myrtle and her husband, the doll went with the house again. Oh, God. So Myrtle became Robert's new caretaker for the next 20 years. No. (laughs) Shit's about to get nuts, isn't it? Uh, Myrtle's daughter played with Robert for a while, but after some spooky things happened, he was put away in a box in the attic again. Oh, just some spooky things. Yep. The family and visitors to the house reported hearing running up in the attic and more children's laughter. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No. 
No. And then when Myrtle moved out of that house, she actually took Robert with her. Duh. Don't do that. But ultimately, in the 1990s, she donated the doll to the museum where he now resides, which is in the Keys. And I believe it's somewhat near the house where most of this happened. Okay. The house is also haunted. It's known as, like, the artist's house or something like that. So... When she donated Robert to the museum, she told them everything that happened while Robert was in her care, but they really didn't believe her. Okay. Yeah. But then the museum staff started witnessing and experiencing some things. So Robert will shift in his case. He'll put his hand on the glass. Sometimes he'll turn his head. Some have reported seeing his chest moving up and down as if he's breathing. So new. After he was put on display, the museum started receiving letters from people who had come through and been disrespectful to Robert, asking for his forgiveness. So after being disrespectful to Robert, people have gotten sick, gotten into accidents or injured, uh, experienced bad luck after visiting the doll and not following like his rules. Others have also experienced hauntings in their own homes, um, you know, like financial trouble, you name it. If it's bad, it's happened to them. Damn. Um, so be very respectful of Robert if you're ever around him. Of course. We're going to visit him someday. You know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be like, hey, Austin, you want to go to Harry Potter World? Fuck yeah, I do. I'm going to sleep somehow. Next thing I know, we wake up in front of this fucking museum and I go in. Thanks for the idea. So some will send candy along with their apologies. Others will bring it as a gift for Robert when We're they visit him. We're going to talk about this. <laughs> We're going to talk about this now, Hannah. Um, orbs are seen around him and the room he's in at the museum. Okay, when the recording's done. <laughs> Robert has had his aura photographed and SLS cameras used on him. SLS cameras are the ones that pick up like anomalies, like oh, figures. Yep. <laughs> so they'll pick up a human, but they shouldn't pick up a doll. But, but yeah, they picked up Robert. Oh, no. Um, so, in case you were wondering, I do have Robert's rules here. I, I need to hear these rules. So always greet Robert and introduce yourself when you meet him. Of course. Do not tap or knock on the glass case that Robert is encased in. Mm-mm. Do not make fun of Robert or his stuffed pet dog. No shit. <laughs> Never question Robert's power or taunt him. Do not criticize Robert's appearance or outfit. Do not critique the letters pinned to the wall. So I think they put some of the letters that have come into Robert on the wall. So don't critique those. Because that's his work that you're critiquing right there. Always ask for Robert's permission before taking a photo of him. It doesn't actually say this, but obviously don't take a picture if he doesn't give you permission. How do you know if he does or doesn't give you permission? That's a great question. I don't want to find out, Hannah. <laughs> I really don't. Um, we'll, we'll find out in a minute here. Um, I'll look it up and I'll figure it out because I actually did see an article that was titled that. Okay. And then thank Robert when you are leaving the exhibit or the museum. I want to add to this one, say goodbye to Robert. There is a story in the like documentary I watched about a woman who did everything right, and then some shit went down, and after spending hours online trying to figure out what she did wrong, she realized she didn't say goodbye to Robert. And so she, I believe, or they, I should say, they anonymously sent a letter to Robert begging for his forgiveness and saying, I didn't know, nobody told me. I feel like a lot of these rules that are all about Robert were found out and then the rule was put into place. Probably. I think they put the rules up there 
so that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. But um, there are obviously people who go in there and decide to ignore those rules, and then they send those letters back. Sometimes candy with them. Oh yeah, I bet it's always the skeptics. Mm-hmm. It's a doll in a glass case, and it has rules. Listen. Right, I'm gonna look it up. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe I don't have the answer to that question. No. No. Huh. Next week. Next week, maybe, or we'll just have to go find out ourselves. So... Ah, yeah. Yeah, I guess we do. Why is Robert haunted? Yes, tell us. Why is Robert haunted? Some believe that a voodoo curse was put on Robert by the servant when the doll was given to him. Nobody knows exactly what that curse would be, just that it was a curse. Uh, Like I said, there's some rumors that the family had done something wrong and the servant wanted to retaliate. There was also a rumor that the servant's daughter had died in the house, and that maybe the daughter's spirit had gone into Robert. Uh, One medium said that Robert feels actually like a portal. Like maybe there was a spell done to create like an open portal that just attracts spirits. And that medium also said that there are many spirits. It's not just one spirit. Oh. No. Yeah. So as far as kind of the like mean and scary stuff goes, that Mm -hmm. can all be attributed to like one particularly like old man who's just like kind of mean and angry and he likes to scare people and everything. Otherwise, a lot of the kind of, I don't know if you'd call it playfulness, is attributed to usually like kid spirits and everything but there's like there's apparently like a lot of spirits that make up what is robert the doll and everything that's going on and these spirits like manipulating the doll to make these things happen oh it's like various ages to it sounds like yeah interesting yeah oh i it doesn't make it any less creepier for me but that's interesting i don't like it the hair on my arms is standing up (laughs) and I watched, I watched that documentary like two days in a row. I watched it yesterday, and then I was watching it again today while I was going through and finishing my notes. It's really good. It was on Discovery+. Plus. Um, it was made by Shock Doc, I think. It's like an hour and a half long documentary. Okay. Just about Robert the Doll. It's really good. I, I'm probably going to watch it, but I'm going to hate every minute of You're it. You're going to hate every minute of it because they did, like, reenactments, and they actually, no. they, they made, they had a doll that looks just like Robert the Doll no. for it, and they have him moving and, like, scooting around and being spooky and stuff. It's really good. Christian was not happy watching it with me last night. You don't like dolls either? He's just not, I mean, he's, or is he, he just scares not, easier than I do, actually. Does he really? Usually. Especially with, like, jump scares and stuff. This is good information. Thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Christian. Not sorry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's Robert the doll. Uh, Hannah, fuck you, but thank you for that story. You are so welcome. Um, I also did think of a couple of things that we haven't mentioned, that we keep forgetting to mention in the beginning. Oh, yeah. So, one, shout out to the German listener. We see you. We, we definitely spotted see you. you. 
and uh, we just wanted to say hello. Hello from America. Yeah, from Minnesota specifically. Yes. <laughs> and then um, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week, but we didn't touch on it too much because we weren't 100% sure when it was coming out. But mm-hmm. we were on the 70s versus the 80s, which is another local podcast hosted by Mike and Brian. And we talked about The Shining and just kind of hung out with them and had a really good time, had a lot of laughs, kind of delved into the story, um, what we thought about, you know, if it were to be produced now as like a movie or a show, who we would cast, all sorts of stuff. Uh, But we just, we had a lot of fun hanging out with them. And so I just wanted to give that a little bit bigger spotlight uh, than we did last week because it came out the day after we recorded last week. Yeah, it did. And... Like like Hannah said, it was it was a fun time, and Mike and Brian are just two really cool guys. That man, they've got a lot of good insight. Yeah, they've got a lot of good. To, a lot uh, of good pop insight. culture and everything. Yeah, a lot of good thoughts, yeah. theories, ideas. They've just they've got really good minds in general. Yeah, yeah. Should we say the other thing? Is there that we're thing? inviting them on? Oh, I mean, yeah, we can. I mean, we're going to have them on hopefully sooner rather than later here. Yes. Um, yep. They invited us, so we wanted to invite them on our podcast. Yeah. Uh, give some banter back because yes. their banter, it, their honestly, banter is really good. go listen to the 70s versus 80s. Their banter is hilarious. So just, you know, keep an eye out for all of that. I think that was actually it then. I think that was. Yeah. Yeah, was I don't have anything currently and. I don't think I have anything currently either. Um, wow, this never gets any easier. So. <laughs> well, with that, I think that is a oh, perfect no, ending. No. Hannah, we have uh, a cemetery. Oh, we have a cemetery, cemetery, fun, cemetery fact. fun fact. Pump the brakes here. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Here we go. Cemetery fun fact. Give it to us. The first person buried in a cemetery is unlucky. The last person buried in a cemetery must forever have their spirit stand watch over all the others. Ooh, that'd be a tough one. Like, would you or would you not? What if you were the only person buried? So you were the first and the last person. Well, then you're, there's nobody else to watch. Well, I mean, over, you're, I you're watching yourself. You're just watching yourself. Which never mind. That could That's, be a nightmare in itself. That could be a nightmare in itself. But that is really interesting. Think of the stories you could write with just that bit of lore alone. There. Okay, Jordan Peele at this time now has. His next movie. <laughs> He's always doing something like this. Like, have you seen his Candyman uh, no. rendition? No. Oh, it's so good. So good. All right. I guess now, that ends episode 16. Yeah, now we're at the, the end of the episode. So thanks for hanging out with us and listening to our nonsense. Remember, only fill your lives with good times and good vibes. We'll see you next week. No stay fresh this time? No stay fresh. We're okay. moving past that. Okay, I guess we've grown out of stay fresh. You guys have a good week. Bye. Bye. The Bleeding Grave is hosted by Hannah Slavic and Austin Winger. Music by Hannah Slavic. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to The Bleeding Grave on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and more. 